In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Grant us peace, O Lord, in our days, for there is no other who will fight for us, save but you, our God. The following is a reading from Father Elvin Butler's Lives of the Saints. March 17th. St. Patrick, Bishop and Confessor, Apostle of Ireland. If the virtue of children reflects an honor on their parents, much more justly is the name of St. Patrick rendered illustrious by the innumerable lights of sanctity with which the Church of Ireland, planted by his labors in the most remote corner of the then-known world, shone during many ages, and by which the colonies of saints with which it peopled many foreign countries. For under God its inhabitants derived from their glorious apostle the streams of that eminent sanctity by which they were long conspicuous to the whole world. St. Patrick was born in the decline of the 4th century, and, as he informs us in his confession in a village called Bonavent of Tabernia, which seems to be the town of Kilpatrick on the mouth of the river Cluid in Scotland, between Dumbritton and Glasgow. He calls himself both a Briton and a Roman, or of a mixed extraction, and says his father was of a good family named Calphurnius and a denizen of the neighboring city of the Romans, who not long after abandoned Britain in 409. Some writers call his mother Conchessa, and say she was niece to St. Martin of Tours. At fifteen years of age he committed a fault which appears not to have been a great crime, yet was to him a subject of tears during the remainder of his life. He says that when he was sixteen he lived still ignorant of God, meaning of the devout knowledge and fervent love of God, for he was always a Christian. He never ceased to bewail this neglect and wept when he remembered that he had been one moment of his life insensible to the divine love. In his sixteenth year, he was carried into captivity by certain barbarians, together with many of his father's vassals and slaves, taken upon his estate. They took him into Ireland, where he was obliged to keep cattle on the mountains and in the forests in hunger and nakedness amidst snows, rain, and ice. While he lived in this suffering condition, God had pity on his soul, and quickened him to a sense of his duty by the impulse of a strong interior grace. The young man had recourse to him with his whole heart in fervent prayer and fasting, and from that time faith in the love of God acquired continually new strength in his tender soul. He prayed often in the day, and also many times in the night, breaking off his sleep to return to the divine praises. His afflictions were to him a source of heavenly benedictions because he carried his cross with Christ, that is, with patience, resignation, and holy joy. St. Patrick, after six months spent in slavery under the same master, was admonished by God in a dream to return to his own country and informed that a ship was then ready to sail thither. He repaired immediately to the seacoast, though at a great distance and found the vessel, but could not obtain his passage probably for want of money. Thus new trials ever await the servants of God. The saint returned towards his hut, praying as he went. But the sailors, though pagans, called him back and took him on board. After three days' sail, they made land, probably in the north of Scotland, but wandered twenty-seven days through deserts, and were a long while distressed for want of provisions, finding nothing to eat. Patrick had often entertained the company of the infinite power of God. 
They therefore asked him why he did not pray for relief. Animated by a strong faith, he assured them that if they would address themselves with their whole hearts to the true God, he would hear and succor them. They did so, and on the same day met with a herd of swine. From that time provisions never failed them, till on the twenty-seventh day they came into a country that was cultivated and inhabited. During their distress, Patrick refused to touch meats which had been offered to idols. One day a great stone from a rock happened to fall upon him and had like to have crushed him to death while he was laid down to take a little rest. But he invoked Elias and was delivered from this danger. Some years afterwards he was again led captive, but recovered his liberty after two months. When he was at home with his parents, God manifested to him by diverse visions that he destined him to the great work of the conversion of Ireland. He thought he saw all the children of that country from the wombs of their mothers stretching out their hands and piteously cry to him for relief. St. Prosper, in his chronicle, assures us that Pope Celestine ordained St. Peldium, Bishop of the Scots, in 431, and by him converted their country to the faith. This apostle seems to have preached to this nation first in Ireland and afterwards in Scotland. Though Palladius be styled by St. Prosper and Bede, their first bishop, yet the light of the faith had diffused its rays from Britain into Ireland before that time, as several monuments produced by Usher demonstrate, but the general conversion of the inhabitants of this island was reserved for St. Patrick. The Scots are distinguished from the native Irish in the works of St. Patrick and in other ancient monuments. As to their original, the most probable conjecture seems to be that they were a foreign warlike nation who made a settlement in Ireland before the arrival of St. Patrick. We find them mentioned there in the 4th century. Several colonies of them passed not long after into Scotland, but the inhabitants of Ireland were promiscuously called Scots or Irish for many ages. Some think he had traveled into Gaul before he undertook his mission, and we find that, while he preached in Ireland, he had a great desire to visit his brethren in Gaul, and to see those whom he calls the saints of God, having been formerly acquainted with them. The authors of his life say that after his second captivity, he traveled into Gaul and Italy, and had seen St. Martin, St. Germanus of Auxerre, and Pope Celestine, and that he received his mission and the apostolical benediction from this pope who died in 432. But it seems from his confession that he was ordained deacon, priest, and bishop for his mission in his own country. It is certain that he spent many years in preparing himself for those sacred functions. Great opposition was made against his episcopal consecration and mission, both by his own relations and by the clergy. These made him great offers in order to detain him among them, and endeavored to affright him by exaggerating the dangers to which he exposed himself amidst the enemies of the Romans and Britons who did not know God. Some objected with the same view the fault which he had committed thirty years before as an obstacle to his ordination. All these temptations threw the saint into great perplexities, and had liked to have made him abandon the work of God. But the Lord, whose will he consulted by earnest prayer, supported him and comforted him by a vision, so that he persevered in his resolution. He forsook his family, sold, as he says, his birthright and dignity to serve strangers, and consecrated his soul to God to carry his name to the end of the earth. He was determined to suffer all things for the accomplishment of his holy design, to receive in the same spirit both prosperity and adversity, 
and to return thanks to God equally for the one as for the other, desiring only that his name might be glorified and his divine will accomplished to his own honor. In this disposition, he passed into Ireland to preach the gospel, where the worship of idols still generally reigned. He devoted himself entirely for the salvation of these barbarians, to be regarded as a stranger, to be condemned as the last of men, to suffer from the infidel's imprisonment and all kinds of persecution, and to give his life with joy if God should deem him worthy to shed his blood in his cause. He traveled over the whole island, penetrating into the remotest corners without fearing any dangers, and often visited each province. Such was the fruit of his preaching and sufferings that he consecrated to God by baptism an infinite number of people, and labored effectually that they might be perfected in his service by the practice of virtue. He ordained everywhere clergymen, induced women to live in holy widowhood and continence, consecrated virgins to Christ, and instituted monks. Great numbers embraced these states of perfection with extreme ardor. Many desired to confer earthly riches on him who had communicated to them the goods of heaven. But he made it a capital duty to decline all self-interest and whatever might dishonor his, his ministry. He took nothing from the many thousands whom he baptized and often gave back the little presents which some laid on the altar, choosing rather to mortify the fervent than scandalize the weak or the infidels. On the contrary, he gave freely of his own both to pagans and Christians, distributed large alms to the poor in the provinces where he passed, made presents to the kings, judging that necessary for the progress of the gospel, and maintained and educated many children whom he trained up to serve at the altar. He always gave till he had no more to bestow, and rejoiced to see himself poor with Jesus Christ, knowing poverty and afflictions to be more profitable to him than riches and pleasures. The happy success of his labors cost him many persecutions. A certain prince named Koratek, a Christian, though in name only, disturbed the peace of his flock. He seems to have reigned in some part of Wales, after the Britons had been abandoned by the Romans. This tyrant, as the saint calls him, having made a descent into Ireland, plundered the country where St. Patrick had been just conferring the holy chrism, that is, confirmation, on a great number of neophytes who were yet in their white garments after baptism. Korotek, without paying any regard to justice or to the holy sacrament, massacred many and carried away others, whom he sold to the infidel Picts or Scots. This probably happened at Easter or White Suntide. The next day the saint sent the barbarian a letter by a holy priest whom he had brought up from his infancy, entreating him to restore the Christian captives and at least part of the booty he had taken. The poor people might not perish for want, but was only answered by railleries as if the Irish could not be the same Christians with the Britons which arrogance and pride sunk those barbarous conquerors beneath the dignity of men, while by it they were puffed up above others in their own hearts. The saint, therefore, to prevent the scandal which such a flagrant enormity gave to his new converts, wrote with his own hand a public circular letter. In it he styles himself a sinner and an ignorant man, for such is the sincere humility of the saints, most of all when they are obliged to exercise any acts of authority contrary to the pompous titles which the world affects. He declares, nevertheless, that he has established Bishop of Ireland and pronounces Koratek 
and the other parasites and accomplices separated from him and from Jesus Christ, whose place he holds forbidding any to eat with them or to receive their alms till they should have satisfied God by the tears of sincere penance and restored the servants of Jesus Christ to their liberty. This letter expresses his most tender love for his flock and his grief for those who have been slain yet mingled with joy because they reign with the prophets, apostles, and martyrs. Jocelyn assures us that Koratik was overtaken by the divine vengeance. St. Patrick wrote his confession as a testimony of his mission when he was old. It is solid, full of good sense and piety, expresses an extraordinary humility and a great desire of martyrdom, and is written with spirit. The author was perfectly versed in the Holy Scriptures. He confesses everywhere his own faults with a sincere humility and extols the great mercies of God towards him in this world who had exalted him, though the most undeserving of men, yet to preserve him in humility afforded him the advantage of meeting with extreme contempt from others, that is, from the heathens. He confesses for his humiliation that among other temptations he felt a great desire to see again his own country and to visit the saints of his acquaintance in Gaul, but durst not abandon his people, and says that the Holy Ghost had declared to him that to do it would be criminal. He tells us that a little before he wrote this, he himself and all his companions had been plundered and laid in irons for his having baptized the son of a certain king against the will of his father, but were released after fourteen days. He lived in the daily expectation of such accidents and of martyrdom, but feared nothing, having his hope as a firm anchor fixed in heaven, and reposing himself with an entire confidence in the arms of the Almighty. He says that he had lately baptized a very beautiful young lady of quality, who some days after came to tell him that she had been admonished by an angel to consecrate her virginity to Jesus Christ, that she might render herself the more acceptable to God. He gave God thanks, and she made her vows with extraordinary fervor six days before he wrote this letter. St. Patrick held several councils to settle the discipline of the church which he had planted. The first, the acts of which are extant under his name, and the additions of the councils is certainly genuine. Its canons regulate several points of discipline, especially relating to penance. A second council extant in the same collection ought rather to be ascribed to a nephew of this saint. Other Irish canons published in the ninth tome of D'Artry's Spicelage and more by Martin, though they bear the name of St. Patrick, are judged to have been framed by some of his successors. St. Bernard in the tradition of the country testify that St. Patrick fixed his metropolitan see at Armagh. He established some other bishops and appears by his council and other monuments. He not only converted the whole country by his preaching and wonderful miracles, but also cultivated this vineyard with so fruitful benediction and increase from heaven as to render Ireland a most flourishing garden in the Church of God and a country of saints. And those nations which had for many ages esteemed all others barbarians did not blush to receive from the utmost extremity of the uncivilized or barbarous world their most renowned teachers and guides in the greatest of all sciences, that of the saints. Many particulars are related of the labors of St. Patrick, which we pass over. In the first year of his mission, he attempted to preach Christ in the General Assembly of the Kings and States of all Ireland, held yearly at Tara and Orthomoria, 
in East Meath, the residence of the chief king styled the monarch of the whole island, in the principal seat of the druids or priests in their paganish rites. The son of Neil, the chief monarch, declared himself against the preacher. However, he converted several, and on his road to that place, the father of St. Benin, or Beninius, his immediate successor in the See of Arma. He afterwards converted and baptized the kings of Dublin and Munster, and the seven sons of the king of Connaught, with the greatest part of their subjects, and before his death, almost the whole island. He founded a monastery at Armagh, another called Domnach Padraig, or Patrick's Church, also a third named Sabal Padraig, and filled the country with churches and schools of piety and learning, the reputation of which for the three succeeding centuries drew many foreigners into Ireland. Nennius, abbot of Bangor in 620 in his History of the Britons, published by the learned Thomas Gale, says that St. Patrick took the name only when he was ordained bishop, being before called Maun, that he continued his missions all over all the provinces of Ireland during 40 years, that he restored sight to many blind, health to the sick, and raised nine dead persons to life. The popular tradition attributes the exemption of their country from venomous creatures to the benediction of St. Patrick, given by a staff called the Staff of Jesus, which was kept with great veneration in Dublin, as is mentioned in the year 1360 by Ralph Higdon in his Polychronicon, published by Mr. Galen and by others. The Isle of Malta is said to derive a like privilege from St. Paul, who was there bit by a viper. St. Patrick's Purgatory is a cave in an island in the Lake of Dirg in the country of Donegal, near the borders of Fermina. Belandus shows the falsehood of many things related concerning it. Upon complaint of certain superstitious and false notions of the vulgar in 1407, it was stopped up by an order of the popes. It was soon after opened by the inhabitants, but only according to the original institution as Belandus takes notice as a penitential retirement for those who voluntarily choose it, probably in imitation of St. Patrick or other saints who had there dedicated themselves to a penitential state. The penitents usually spend there several days, living on bread and water, lying on rushes or furs, and praying much with daily stations which they perform barefoot. St. Patrick died and was buried at Down in Ulster, his body was found there in a church of his name in 1185 and translated to another part of the same church. His festival is marked on the 17th of March in the Martyrology of Bede, etc. The apostles of nations were all interior men, endowed with the sublime spirit of prayer. The salvation of souls being a supernatural end, the instruments ought to bear a proportion to it, and preaching proceed from a grace which is supernatural. To undertake this holy function without a competent stock of sacred learning and without the necessary precautions of human prudence and industry would be to tempt God. But sanctity of life and the union of the heart with God are qualifications far more essential than science, eloquence, and human talents. Many almost kill themselves with studying to compose elegant sermons which flatter the ear yet reap very little fruit. Their hearers applaud their parts, but very few are converted. Most preachers nowadays have learning, 
but are not sufficiently grounded in true sanctity and a spirit of devotion. Interior, humility, purity of heart, recollection, and the spirit of the assiduous practice of holy prayer are the principal preparation for the ministry of the word and the true means of acquiring the science of the saints. A short, devout meditation and fervent prayer, which kindle a fire in the affections, furnish more thoughts proper to move the hearts of the hearers and inspire with them sentiments of truer virtue than many years employed barely in reading and study. St. Patrick and other apostolic men were dead to themselves and the world, and animated with the spirit of perfect charity and humility, by which they were prepared by God to be such powerful instruments of his grace as by the miraculous change of so many hearts, to plant in entire barbarous nations not only the faith, but also the spirit of Christ. Preachers who have not attained to a disengagement and purity of heart suffer the petty interests of self-love secretly to mingle themselves in their zeal and charity, and have reason to suspect that they inflict deeper wounds in their own souls than they are aware, and produce not in others the good which they imagine. St. Patrick is dear to me because he is my patron saint, and most of my family has Irish heritage. So I want to uh, ask our Irish readers forgiveness for my poor pronunciation of all the Irish towns and, and such that I have attempted to pronounce here. I pray for those in Ireland that the spirit of St. Patrick would again convert that nation to the Catholic faith as I pray for his intercession for my own nation, that we would again return to Christ. I hope that you all have a very happy St. Patrick's Day. Sancte Patrici, ora pro nobis, in nomine Patris, filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Oh.